Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Hi there. I want to tell you about my webinars that are going to be coming up every month. I want you to check out my website and see what this month's webinar topic is and sign up. The format is going to be the same every month, even though the topics are going to change. It's going to be a huge variety of career-related topics. I'm going to give you a deep dive into content about that topic for about 30 minutes, and then you're going to have a chance for 30 minutes of Q&A in the chat box while I'm, I'm teaching you. You can ask me a question, and then if you're really brave, and I hope you will be, you can be volunteered to coach live on that month's topic so you can raise your hand and I'll coach you. I want to give you that URL so that you can go to my website, see what the next topic is and sign up. So go to http colon backslash backslash nope. So go to my website at exclusivecareercoaching.com forward slash webinar sign up see what this month's topic is, see when and, and, and what time it is, sign up and, uh, and get in there and participate with me. I look forward to having you there. Thanks. Greetings. I wanted to start this week's podcast by explaining what I'm doing and a shift that I'm making in my business and, and most importantly, why I'm making that shift. So what you're going to get this week and next week and really going in through all of April, May, and June are podcasts that are geared towards the college graduate. Now, for those of you who are and have been my clients or kind of my target audience in the past, this may be more appropriate for your children or maybe nieces and nephews um, or even grandchildren than yourselves. But here's the deal. That target audience of 20-somethings is now my target audience. And the reason is that's where my passion really lies. And I've done quite a bit of business strategizing and soul searching over the past several months, really, and decided to return to what is essentially my roots in the 20-something career services realm. So I've, I've talked about on previous podcasts that I spent 22 years in college career services. I took a, a situation in Georgia where there was no career center and I built it from the ground up and then I left there to go out to Northeast Missouri and I took a career center there that was flying under the radar screen, wasn't helping a lot of students, wasn't serving a lot of students, didn't have a very high profile uh, on campus and didn't particularly market the university well to creating what was essentially a showpiece for the university. And during that time in Missouri, I began my own practice and did those two things parallel. And in 2011, was able to retire from higher education and start my business. And at the time, what seemed logical to me was to work with a more senior audience. And there were a lot of reasons for that, not all of which were... Um, very good sound um, thought processes on my part. But suffice it to say that I moved away from the recent graduate into um, initially much senior role and then I've kind of gone into that mid-range role. And here was the here was the struggle that I was facing. 
over the last year in particular, um, I've been blessed with several 20-something clients. And what I was paying attention to during that time was that those clients were the ones who really needed my entire zone of genius. And kind of juxtaposing that with some of my more senior clients who really needed me to write a resume and a LinkedIn profile for them, or maybe they need a little bit of interview coaching. But I was increasingly feeling like I wasn't being utilized to my greatest extent. And that was really the driving force behind coming back to my roots in working with 20-somethings. And so as I am working with my team to rebrand my business, it's still, at least for now, going to be called Exclusive Career Coaching. This podcast is still going to be called The Exclusive Career Coach. Um, but what we're going to be doing is is changing that logo up and some of the, maybe the tagline and, and some of the branding that we do. Certainly our social media strategy is going to change. And the way that I attract clients is going to change as well. I've simplified my business and... Um, created packages that really not only allow me to operate in my full zone of genius, but ultimately, and most importantly, provide recent college graduates 20-something, so people who are really within the first 10 years of their career, with all of the tools that they need to be successful in their career path. And so that's really what's happening with me. And, and interestingly enough, this Q&A that you're going to hear today and next week we had decided to do this well before I made the final decision to change the focus of my business. And just as we then began recording, it just seemed appropriate that this would be the first two episodes under this new sort of umbrella. So I hope that you love these Q&As uh, that you're going to hear this week and next. These are my two interns that are working with me now who I adore and questions that they've gotten from some of their friends in, in college as well. And increasingly, that's what you're going to hear. So April, May, and June are going to be really focused towards the college graduate. So, and then going into July and beyond, it will be still focused on that 20-something. So probably in the spring of every year, I will really zone in on the college graduate. And then the rest of the year, it will be anyone in their first 10 years of, of their career. So I hope that this makes sense. And I will now then uh, turn it over to our Q&A. I am thrilled today to have two wonderful women who are actually my interns with me today. They're both at Florida State University, Go Seminoles, and they are uh, both juniors, sophomores and juniors. They've talked to several of their friends. They've sort of collected the questions that are on the minds of graduating seniors uh, who are getting ready to get out there and start their career. So I want to start with Melissa and let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. I'm Melissa Black. I'm a public relations and editing, writing, and media student at FSU. Um, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida, and I've had the pleasure of working with Miss Lisa since around October of 2017. Yes, she has been wonderful in doing my social media. If you've seen any of my social media posts, it's all Melissa. And Jelana? Hi, I'm Jelana Alonso, or Jay Alonso. I'm also from Jacksonville, Florida, and I just started working. I am a ICT and um, hopefully double majoring in EWM. So what are those? What do those letters stand for? Editing, writing, media. Okay. All right. So they have, as I said, came up with a lot of questions from themselves and from others that they've asked, 
and I've told them to fire them away. We're going to cover some of them today. If we have enough questions, we'll, we'll put them on a future podcast. So, Melissa, you want to start? Yeah, so our first question is, when should we start looking for internships? Looking for internships. Excellent. Well, you know, here's the thing is I think that in general for most majors, one internship is not enough. You really need more than one. And I always think of it as coming at it from two different angles. So if you want to go into editing, writing, and media, maybe one of the internships is more focused on the writing aspect, the writing and the editing, and one is more maybe journalism or production or some other angle for that. So that's one piece of the internship thing. There are many internships that you can get as a, between your, say your sophomore and your junior year, maybe even between your freshman and your sophomore year, most internships want you to be in your major. And they may, if it's a very focused internship, for example, if you were an accounting major, they would have very specific courses that they would want you to have completed. In other majors where it's a little bit more open, they may just say, you know, we want you to be in your major and have taken at least one semester in your major, that kind of thing. But I think that, you know, if you're thinking about taking, doing summer internships, doing one between your sophomore and your junior year, and then another between your junior and your senior year is a really good strategy. And I know others who do more than two, so that's not out of the question either. Really, the, it's kind of the more the merrier, I think as long as they're substantive. And I think most internships today, they're doing a pretty good job of making them real. <laughs> it's not, you know, the old days of, um, let me get your coffee for you. They're real internships. Okay, so a follow-up question about the internship is, where can I look for internships? Well, everywhere and anywhere. So if you're at your university, then for sure look at your career center, whatever their online resources, they're going to have postings. The career fair that the university puts on and, and larger universities like Florida State put on several for different departments, different career fields, that kind of thing. So those companies that are also looking for entry-level employees, they're also looking for interns. So that's for sure. Um, and then there are sites like internship.com. Uh, if you want to go into the nonprofit sector, a site that I absolutely love uh, is idealist.org. It's the world's largest nonprofit site. So they've got paid positions, volunteer positions, internships, and who knows what else on there. It's just a massive, and it's global. So that's another really good site. Great. So how early in college should I start considering my career, what I want to do after I graduate, things like that? <laughs> we, um, I, I have shared with the audience that I have 22 years of experience in higher education career services, and it's, it's always been really interesting to see the, the range of when students start to think about their career. So we would have some students who would come in during what we called freshman week at the last university I was at. So they were literally not, hadn't even started school yet. They were going through pre-school stuff. And they would come in and they were like, okay, I'm ready to do this now. Let's get serious about this. And then other folks, you know, somewhere around, oh, I don't know, six months after graduation, they'd show up. <laughs> so big range. So what's optimal? It's really optimal to start at your freshman year and build on that. I know that one of the resources that we had available for our students, and I'm sure most universities have something like this, is kind of a timeline that kind of says, do these things your freshman year, do these things your sophomore year. And the idea is that there's a cumulative effect there. And if you're doing a little bit every year, you're not giving yourself this huge burden of 
you know, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have so much to do now and I'm graduating and I'm, you know, I've got all of the, the senior things that I have to deal with as well. I've been doing this all the way along, so I'm really, really well prepared. And oftentimes those are the folks who have those job offers before they graduate. And I always say, I think there's a little bit more of a, of a, a lilt in your step when you walk across the stage to receive your diploma and knowing that you already have that job secured. What can I start doing to make sure I have a job after I graduate? So again, I think doing those things a little bit along, because it's not just about looking for the job itself, it's about knowing what kind of job you want. And so, you know, when we're thinking about freshmen, what we're really doing typically with them is the developmental piece. So what I, what, what I did at my last university was a personality assessment and an interest assessment. And it was sort of the analogy that I used was it was sort of like putting the student in the middle of the room and photographing them from two angles. I was going to know a lot more about them than if I just gave them one assessment or the other and I had one angle of view. And so we would take that information, look at what are the careers that are the best fit for that. Um, the other early things that students can do, I always tell them, go to every speaker, you know, your roommate wants to drag you to some, somebody's on campus and you're like, oh, that sounds horrible, but I'm going to go. Because over and over again, I've heard from students that it's that random, you know, I go to a conference and I go to this session or I go to this speaker that I didn't want to go to, or I have this random conversation with my dad's, you know, boss's aunt's sister and it's just this random like oh my gosh this is exactly what I wanted to do and a lot of times it's you didn't even know that job existed and this whole world opens up for you so really early on that's the best thing to be doing is that just that exposure because the, the thing is there's such a there's such a difference in what you learn in a major in school and how you utilize that degree when you get out. I'm, I, if I, <laughs> anybody who's ever majored in music, you will groan and you will relate to this comment. I have an undergraduate degree in music education. My love for music theory on a scale of one to 10 was roughly a negative five. Hated it. And music history, well, we called it music mystery, if that answers your question. Hated those two subjects with a passion. But that's not what I was going to be doing with it. I was going to be teaching in the school system, and you put me in front of a group of people and give me a piece of music to conduct, and I came alive, and I was amazing. And so I knew that I had to live through those courses. So my point there is that while I want you to love most of the classes in your major, it's also really important to learn what's the real application of that major out in the real world, because the theory that you learn in school can sometimes be very different than the real world and how you use that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I actually like that you brought that up because um, our next question is, does the major I choose require me to work in that industry? If you are in certain fields, absolutely. If you want to be an accountant, there's no way around it. You have to major in accounting. You can't get that professional designation without that degree. Um, if you want to be a doctor, uh, while there's uh, some wiggle room in your undergraduate degree, you're going to have to go to medical school, you're going to have to go to law school to be a lawyer. Beyond those very specific fields, no, it doesn't matter. And the thing is, employers don't care. It matters the most in your first job out of college because that's when your degree weighs the most because, you know, if we're looking at this as a scale, on the other side, you know, maybe you have some internships, some part-time jobs, but it's not a lot of weight over on the other side. 
So for a lot of people, what's most weighty or as weighty is their degree. As you get that work experience, that degree becomes less. They want you to have one, but they don't care. I have tons of experience from my clients who have degrees that are in no way related. I'm a perfect example. My undergraduate degree is in music education, you know, and it has served me very well. And I did start out my career in music education, but that lasted three years. And then I've gone off in this very interesting path. So no, and, and you, can't, um, you can't predict the turns and twists that your career will take. And I frankly think that's much more interesting than that very linear accounting career. Not that there's anything wrong with accounting, but it can be a very linear career. You kind of do the same thing and just kind of move up in a very straight path. And I think the twist and turns of most people's careers is a lot more interesting. So one of my friends brought up a really important question. What do employers actually care about in terms of what you do in college? Good question. Love it. And, and that's going to vary a little bit depending on the, the field. So if it's a highly technical field, then that technical skill set means more, right? So if you're in some sort of science field and you have to have worked with um, you know, certain technical equipment and done certain chemical processes, for example, then that's going to be important. Um, if you're in accounting, they're going to want to know that you've passed the CPA exam or you know, grades are very important in accounting. They want you to have a 3.5 in most cases. So if we kind of take those folks out of the, out of the mix, they're really looking for balance. And so you know, maybe your, maybe your grades aren't the greatest, but what, what do you have instead of that? Were you, did you have leadership roles in extracurriculars? It's kind of almost like, it's almost like I think on some level they have a grading system. Most companies don't do this on paper, but I think mentally they're looking at, okay, not a great GPA, but look at all this leadership. Or conversely, wasn't real involved in school, but wow, look at that grade point average and look at those, um, you know, those test scores. And, you know, so they're kind of looking at you as that whole person. So, you know, is there some, is there balance when you kind of look at it and put it all in together? Does it kind of add up to a, um, to a fairly well-rounded person? And I've, I've often and always said, um, most employers would rather you have a average GPA and have some leadership, you've worked part-time, you've done some internships, than to be that 4.0 student um, who has been afraid to try things that they might fail at because they've been set up for that 4.0 GPA. Do you know what I mean? That kind of can create that fear of, oh my gosh, I might make a B, let me not do anything else besides school, and they would much rather have somebody that's got that balance. Yeah, and, and the other thing about that is that, you know, it's those leadership experiences, you know, like did you, were you president of something or, you know, vice president or those internships where you get to develop the skills that the workplace requires and that um, you oftentimes don't learn any other way. I mean, there's very few classes in, in universities that teach you how to be a good employee, how to, in fact, I'm doing, an, uh, doing a podcast uh, soon, it'll go out sometime in the next months or, month or so, that will be with an HR. And in fact, she is, she was the second intern I ever had up in Missouri, and now she's Vice President of Human Resources for a healthcare system in Missouri, four-state healthcare system. 
and um, we're going to do um, how to avoid the pitfalls of the first 30 days on the job because she's seen so many people come through her in her HR capacity that are just like screwing it up royally when they get in there because of the, those those soft skills and the things they don't understand about kind of the work environment. And that mm-hmm. as great as you guys are, you don't get to run the place yet. Right? Right. Sadly. 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 We don't Sadly. get to walk in and just have it all. No. You're doing it wrong. Let me fix it. No, that does not cut it. And, it. and it tends to kind of alienate the people who are running it. So, yeah. So there's, you know, there when you can show evidence that you've developed those kind of workplace skills, that really speaks to an employer. Then they're kind of not worried about whether you can, you know, be a team player and come in there and, and be under someone's leadership. So our next question are about your expertise, which is resume. Yes. Um, what are some of the worst mistakes that I can make on my resume? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, you know, the obvious kind of basic misspelled words, bad grammar, um, misuse of words. So maybe it's a fine word, except that that's not where it goes. That's the wrong use of that word. Um, but beyond that, what I see most often with resumes, and this is at all levels of resumes that come to me, is that they are focused on job duties. So if you think about it, you know, you, you're working in a restaurant here in town, And if all you tell an employer is, you know, I worked, you know, I worked there and I brought food to the table and I, you know, took money. Basically what you're saying to a prospective employer from a marketing standpoint, you're saying they paid me to do a job and I did it. It's not very compelling. I was talking to a client the other day and I said, okay, so here's my analogy. It's like if Nike, if their slogan was, we make shoes for your feet. <laughs> Doesn't like send you out the door, run, let me go get some Nikes. That's amazing. They make shoes for my feet. Wow. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't sell. So telling them I put food on the table, what really impresses an employer from a resume standpoint is how well you did the job. So, you know, in the restaurant example, I've had students where we've talked about how many additional shifts they picked up or certain commendations, feedback that they got from either their boss or from from, um, patrons of the restaurant. Um, How many hours did they work? That's a big one while you're in school. You know, are you able to balance, you know, 30 hours a week or 25 hours a week and maintain a really good GPA? So anytime you can talk about accomplishments, um, that's the differentiator. So you still want to tell them what you did in the job. They do need to know what the job duties were. We put that in, in professional resume writing. We put that in a paragraph. So three or four lines, Here's here were the job duties. And then the bullets are reserved for hard-hitting accomplishments. So things like, um, and I'm going to kind of come up a little bit uh, level-wise, but, you know, um, saved $1.9 million annually by doing XYZ, um, generated $35,000 in revenue by doing this. So those kinds of things really separate you from your competition. The other piece that is missing on most resumes is that branding information. So really differentiating you from your competition. So the analogy that I like to use is if you went to a car dealership, and you said to the salesman, tell me about this vehicle. 
you're standing by this car. And he goes, oh, well, this one, it's got four tires, an engine, and a steering wheel. And you're like, great, that's so helpful, thank you. Doesn't differentiate that vehicle from any vehicle on the planet, but yet that's the kind of stuff that people put on their resume. I'm hardworking, I'm dedicated, I'm um, driven, I'm a pe oh God, people person, <laughs> I'm a people person. What does that even mean, right? So that's the kind of stuff that everybody puts on there. It's kind of noise because it doesn't tell them anything. But if you can tell them that you have consistently, um, you know, improved customer service or, you know, some metrics around the marketing piece that you've done, you know, hopefully by the time we're done, we'll be able to pull some, some metrics out of the work that you've done with me. That's what speaks to an employer because they figure if you've done that in one place, you can do that in their place. Right, so just as an overall, be specific. Be specific. General. Yeah, see, the thing is, you can say you're hardworking all day long, and it's like wah, 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 wah. But if you have a recommendation, so somebody who has been your boss, your internship <laughs> supervisor, who says, oh, my gosh, this girl is hardworking, then they're all of a sudden they're like, wow, she's hardworking. <laughs> and it's a third-party expert endorsement. So, so when it comes to those soft skills, let somebody else say those things about you, but you saying them about yourself, it has, it just has no meaning. There's no context for it. Right. Um, actually, speaking of the resume, so you were saying how detailed you have to be on your resume and say like your leadership skills. I've heard from like numerous career centers that resumes should be put in one page. Do you agree that it should be one page or multiple if you, like you were saying, you want to go into detail? So how do you think you should limit your resume? Sure. And I, there is a level of detail that you want on your resume, but not too much detail because you do want to leave sort of um, some things unsaid so you have some, some conversation for the interview. You don't want to give them everything on the resume. For most college graduates right out of school, one page is going to be fine. And then typically about the time they get into maybe their second job out of college or even their third job out of college, then we're talking about a two-page. Two pages, the max for anybody who's not in academia or the sciences where they really have a curriculum vitae. I just did a curriculum vitae. I finished it up right before y'all got here. It was 13 pages because it's got every... I mean, it was like three pages of presentations and <laughs> two pages of publications and... But that's, that's, that's a curriculum vitae. So for a resume, two pages max. But for most recent college graduates, it's going to be one page. And also, on the topic of resumes, can I ask um, what your opinions are on the more creative, fun-looking resumes? Like aesthetically, you know, the ones that have color and script font versus the ones that are more traditional, like look like the word document. Sure. Bold sure. and... It totally depends on the field that you're in. So if we go back to our accounting friends, you know, if they tried to, you know, here's my pink scented resume, not so much. The, you know, Ernst & Young might not really find any, you know, value in that. So for them, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. The more creative the field, the more creative you want your resume to be. Now, there's always kind of the bounds of good taste. But yes, you've got a little bit more room for creativity, for color, and um, you know, interesting fonts and that kind of thing. Now, what I do with my clients always is I always give them a an applicant tracking system, 
compatible version of their resume. So the ATS, Applicant Tracking System, is what you put your resume in. So if you go to a company, like a website, like you're applying online, you may have had this experience with the internship you did in New York City, they want you to apply online and you need that kind of stripped down version of your resume because otherwise the, the ATS goes, whoa, what's all this stuff on here? They don't know how to, it doesn't know how to read bullets, it can't read certain fonts, all of that kind of stuff. But for the, the version that the humans see, absolutely be a little bit more creative. I worked with a, a recent graduate, oh, it's been a few years ago now, she's, she's moved on, actually gone to law school, um, for which this resume that I'm about to say was not a good example for her, so we redid it. <laughs> but for her first job out, she was a journalism major, so we did, I did it. I did it landscape. It's the only resume I've ever done that way, but she loved it, and she got such great feedback. So we did it kind of, you know, turned it landscape and then had two columns. So it was still one page, but it was, you know, this side and this side. And she got great feedback on that, and again... Then she decided to go to law school, so we turned that thing up <laughs> like it was supposed to be, and we it was much less cute, um, but it was much more appropriate for law school. But yeah, you know, have a little bit of fun with that thing, but all within the bounds of good taste, and still making sure that the content is there. So you still need that substance, substantive information. It can't be all flash and no substance. Right. So moving from resumes to LinkedIn, um, so what are the most important things I should have on my LinkedIn profile? I love LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's like, oh my God, I'm so tired of LinkedIn. Yeah, so guess what? You're going to need to get on LinkedIn. So if you've been resisting and thinking that it's just for, I don't know, old people like me, it's not. And so here's, here's what I want to say, first of all, because I think that this kind of gets people's attention. So first of all, and this is an old statistic, 93% of employers use LinkedIn in the hiring process. So that's basically everybody except for some folks in like North Dakota, um, you know, that are or like Alaska, they're not using it. So that's one thing. The second thing is that a lot of times they're looking at LinkedIn before they see your resume because recruiters, um, they're the ones who drive the revenue on LinkedIn. So they get what they want. Like they say, we want this. They're like, yes, you get it because they're paying the bill. So you kind of keep that in mind. And so with that framework, what you want on LinkedIn is a, and this is a very quick version of what you want, because I could talk for a long time about this, a professional photo. That means there's no dogs, cats, chickens, children, you know, sporting equipment, um, spouses, significant, nobody else in the picture but you. And it's you looking like a professional version of you. So rather than you in your, you know, your prom dress, what's that about, right? Um, prom is over. So professional picture. And then a heading that really markets you. So the heading is, you have 120 characters, goes right up underneath your name. And so whatever your aspirational job is, so, you know, um, entry-level editor or, you know, something. And then a little bit of something about the value that you bring to the company. So something about your skills, your strengths, because 120 characters, you can actually say quite a bit. And most people just put their job title on there and they use about 40 characters and they waste the rest of it. So that's really important. And then the other piece that people really read and they will read in its entirety if it's interesting is the summary. So that's up at the top and you have basically 2,000 characters. It's a little bit less than that. So you've got a lot of room to tell your story. You want to write your LinkedIn profile in first person. It should not be just a cut and paste of your resume. You want to talk about yourself in first person. 
and talk about the value that you'll bring to the organization, some of your leadership experiences. Tell them, you know, for you guys, a little bit about your internship journey and, you know, tell them about what you realized, what you learned about yourself in that internship and how that is shaping the career decisions that you're making and, you know, kind of help them to see you and get to know you on a personal level. You then have a professional experience section, which is where you can plug in your jobs, job duties, accomplishments. So I always, when I write LinkedIn profiles, I take the content that I've already created from their resume, but then I tell the story. It's not just a cut and paste. I tell the story. I've got, I can be a little bit more wordy, you know, a little bit more, um, use a little bit more prose in the LinkedIn profile than I do certainly in the, in the resume. And then... The other thing that's so important that I think most people completely ignore is the recommendation section. So you have a chance for people to write recommendations about you. And if you think about, we go kind of back around to what, what I said at the beginning, which is that recruiters are oftentimes seeing their LinkedIn profile before they see your resume. Wow, right? So the example that I like to use is with my own profile. So somebody's trying to decide whether they want me to write their LinkedIn profile for them or somebody else. They found a couple people on there and they're looking at these recommendations. And one of my recommendations is from a woman who is a well-known author and editor who said, yeah, I'm an author and an editor, but I couldn't have written my own LinkedIn profile. Lisa did it much better than I could. That would be a huge deciding factor for you, right? So those recommendations having you know, internship supervisors and bosses and professors, um, people who can speak about you in a professional way, that's going to be so important. So those are kind of some of the things I would say to go with first. Mm -hmm. So that concludes part one of the career Q&A with Jelana and Melissa and me. So please come back next week. We'll go over part two. They have a lot more great questions for me, and I can't wait to share that with you. Have a great week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.